Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 129, Fedora 20, Heisenberg. What is it? Heisenberg what? There's more. Is there more to it than just Heisenberg, or is it just Heisenberg? Just Heisenberg. At least okay. that's what all the documentation says. Yeah. Okay. Now I have to. Do well, that you again. don't really know because if you try to figure out more, <laughs> you've altered the state of it's it. It's very so uncertain. that's all it can be is Heisenberg. All right. So moving right along with the introduction that I broke, but I'm just going to leave it because that's how we roll around here. <laughs> Recorded January 26, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. But this week, we actually have a topic about Linux. We're paying homage to Linux anyway. Um, We've had a couple of, of major distros released uh, recently that we haven't really paid a lot of attention to. We talked about uh, Mint a few weeks ago, and now we're going to talk about Fedora, Chris's beloved Fedora. And, of course, that Chris that I'm referring to is Chris, the command line godfather. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Namaste. How's everything going today, guys? Namaste. You went all Indian on us there all of a sudden. I did. Nice. I did. I watched uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2. And of course, if you haven't seen it, the main bad guy he uh, enters was saying "Namaste." We so watched Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs one just just before I came up here to record the show. So there's there's irony abounding there. It is something like that. <laughs> the the two it's in my Netflix queue. It will be coming, I think, next week. Maybe it's good. It's yeah. good. And of course, alongside him is our gooey friend. The gooey goodness that is Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hello, Sultan, and welcome to the Element Opie Faithful this fine wintry evening. Ugh. Yes. And Ish. I don't want to hear the word winter. <laughs> I'm tired of winter. You know, winter happens. It, it does. It's okay. Um, I'm tired of the 50 mile an hour wind blowing in my backyard, though. All right. So, Chris, I got to ask. Um, you know, living here in the south, when the when the temperatures get below like seventy, everybody panics. Um, mm-hmm. And we, you know, I, I'm I'm renting a house here, and we get these warnings saying you have to uh, open all your cabinet doors and leave your faucets dripping. Um, and then we had uh, the we had a problem with a toilet, not related to that, but the repair guy couldn't come right away because he said that the management company had 10 houses with busted pipes and i thought do people in montana just leave their faucets running full blast all the time to keep them from happening or do you actually know how to build a house with insulated pipes we actually know how to build a house with insulated (laughs) pipes the only people that i know in in montana that have to leave their faucets dripping during the winter are people that live in trailer house the, the trailer homes because they obviously don't have the insulation through and through you know, from ground, from ceiling to ground, to keep the the air out. So that seems to be a problem there. But as far as somebody who owns a home, I've never heard of anyone having to leave their. Maybe their cupboards open, or you know, they wrap their their water lines with the super thick insulation. But I've never heard of anybody ha- having to leave it running with the uh, in a home. Well, you know, there's two two reasons for that. Obviously, water that's running doesn't freeze as readily. And secondly, um, when the pipes do freeze, if they're if it's open at one end, there's room for expansion and it won't bust the pipes. 
So that's right. the reason we do that. But yeah, frozen pipes are a very common issue around here. Um, when it gets you know below 10, 15 or so, when twenties and below, wow, uh, it happens. Which you know, yeah, that's, all of your homes would break. Yeah, that's summer for you. You know, 15, 15 degrees <laughs> is what you call a warm summer day. So I was just thinking. I thought I'd ask about that because uh, you know it's just well, it is not one world, as Paul Harvey likes to say. Yeah, you know what the funny thing is, is we had a little warm spot here the last couple of days, so we have sheets of ice now instead of snow. Uh, but what I had to laugh is the entire time, the every kid in high school and middle school did not wear jackets, did not wear, you know, they were wearing flip flops and shorts, and it was twenty five at night and probably thirty something during the day. And I just had to laugh because you know, you guys would probably die if twenty five degrees. And definitely not be wearing shorts and flip flops. No, I would wear long pants in twenty five degrees. <laughs> Aaron might not, but I would. Yes. Um, but I'm just mentioning, by the way, um, I'm having some technical difficulties here, uh, and so they we're not streaming the show. Now that doesn't apply to anybody who's listening to it right now, but. If you're listening to this now and you were wondering why we didn't stream live, um, it's because my laptop is going to die any second now, and I can't get the battery to charge, and so I just gave up on it. Um, Anyway, Uh, moving right along, uh, a couple of movie things, because, you know, this is a Linux show. Um, (laughs) Kung Fury. Well, I'm sure the computers they use to edit the movies, some of them at least have Linux on them. So we're we're keeping it real tonight. The the Kung Fury, the movie that I uh, so uh, excitedly mentioned uh, uh, before the the Kickstarter project, it's over and it was funded, obviously. Uh, They were looking for $200,000 and they made like $540,000. But the stretch goal to make it a two-hour... Uh, feature-length movie was was a million, and they didn't make that. But um, in the update I got uh, after the project was over, the guy said that because there were so many people interested uh, and so much talk about it, he've had he's had some financiers and some Hollywood people wanting to talk to him about making it a two uh, two hour f- feature-length movie. So that may happen anyway. But certainly the thirty minute one that's already been shot will happen, um, and of course it's going to be probably next year before we see it uh, but i'm yeah. super excited about it i i pledged a hundred dollars i'll get um a, D- a dvd blu-ray combo pack and a poster which i will take to my office and hang on the wall proudly um <laughs> and and they they said that the the, the dvd blu-ray combo pack is going to come in packaging that looks like a uh cassette tape a video Sweet. cassette so i'm excited <laughs> about that that's awesome <laughs> That no, I wish awesome. I, I wish I wish I would have updated my donation yeah. now. Yeah, I'm only going to get the twenty. Uh, for the donation. there was there were several prizes for the hundred dollar range, and one of them was actually to get it on VHS, which I think is awesome. But I haven't had a VHS player in years, and wouldn't be able to play it. I would just be able to look at it. <laughs> Vacuum seal. But you would be man. able to stream it anytime. That's so true. really, having the VHS might have been the ultimate. You know, because you could eBay that later for, you know, <laughs> seven or eight dollars, ones or twos, pennies at least. Uh, okay. So, uh, one other thing I want to talk about movie wise, just because Seth and I were talking about it, so I decided we'd put it on the show. The new Robocop movie. 
I'm, okay. I have mixed feelings about that. So the original Mo- RoboCop movie was perfect for what it was. It's it was you know it's obviously dated. It was in the the eighties, uh, but for it for what it was, the the cop futuristic action movie of the eighties, it was perfect. You can't make it any better. So if they're trying to remake that exact story, then I'm all I'm totally against it. Which is apparently what they did with the Dr- Judge Dredd movie. They took a bad movie from the eighties and made it a bad movie from the two thousands. Uh, but what, I've seen a couple of previews, and it looks like they're going you know, the same touchstones, the same basic story arc, but they're going to tell a different story. I feel a little better about that. I wondered what you guys thought. Because, Seth, I know you're a RoboCop fan, too. Uh, I just wondered what you thought about it. Well, I am looking forward to it. I have, um, I actually have four Groupon passes I bought to Studio Movie Grill that have to be used in the next, like, just over a week. So I'm going to be watching a lot of movies this week and weekend. And if it's not out yet, but I will see it because it looks, it looks very good. Like, uh, and again, you know, 80s movie wasn't high drama, you know, it wasn't no, no. deep in plot, but it was a great movie. Um, I'm thinking this is going to be the same one because the the RoboCop guy looks really good. I mean, you know, it looks like they're going serious action, um, enough plot to hold it together, and hopefully they'll be true to the logic uh, and universe they create. Yeah, when I when I say the perfect movie, I don't mean that it is it is a movie that is perfect. I mean that for what it was, it executed what it tried to be perfectly. Um, the visual effects were state-of-the-art for what they were the plot line was just enough to give you a reason to see people blown up um right. you know it was in my opinion excessively bloody but again that's what they were going for uh so it was the perfect example of what it was I, there are there are lots of movies that i consider perfect movies that that obviously have fun the princess bride is a perfect example <laughs> of that movie of what it was trying to do um yes. you know the 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 cheap sets and everything play into it you know they're not a they're not a a, a, um um liability they they are part of what makes the movie awesome and so that's why i say you know i I gotta interrupt you for just a second and say one of the things i hated when they re-release like the the the, uh, anniversary edition princess bride when you saw it originally when they were rolling down the hill you could tell that they were stunt doubles oh obvious but whenever they re-released it they they cut that out and you couldn't tell that it was like a guy in a beard in buttercup's dress rolling down the hill and i got to admit it took down my love of princess bride just just as a hair i was like my what muscular shoulders robin wright has as she rolls down that hill yeah so anyway i'm sorry uh you can go back to your perfect movie well you know i just had to mention the that. rodents of unusual size we're clearly little guys in big lizard uh, rat costumes. I mean, obviously, and and that's okay because that's that's the that was the whole gestalt of it. You know, Young Frankenstein right. is another perfect movie. Yeah. Um, you know, they didn't try to be high art; they just tried to do one thing and do it really well. So anyway, so uh, <laughs> RoboCop is for what it was. It was perfect, and I I don't want them to mess with it. Yeah, uh, I don't remember who last week, but we're not saying it's a perfect movie. You know, we're <laughs> yeah. just saying it executed what it meant to be. Right. You know, 
Yeah, Blade Runner uh, is another example of a perfect movie for what it was. Yep. Um, in in every rede- in every uh, version that they've put out of it too. <laughs> How many versions of Blade Runner are there? They're like what twenty? I don't know. Uh, what there's the wasn't that no it was the the other one the the blue skies on Mars one Total Recall. Uh, yeah, I heard that was just horrible. And of course, they started with not a great movie, right? And then right. and then remade it. And that's the thing you can't remake it. You can tell a different story with the same characters, and I'm okay with that. But if you just try to remake it, you're going to fail. Yeah. Well, that's because it's an entry to bear. I mean, you have to overcome everything that it was in order to make it a good movie. <laughs> that's true. Uh, we have one piece of listener mail this week, so we'll jump right into that. Tony has what he calls, in his own words, random thoughts. Hey, guys, a little late on some of the comments, but things have been busy. I enjoyed your show on the history of communications and would love to hear you do a show about the history of the Internet. Also, I'd like to know if you'd be interested in doing a piece on the difference between Windows, Mac, and Linux as far as how they're put together. Meaning, what's the difference between the Windows registry and Linux's EXT3 and, and Mac? Is one better than the other, and why? Please keep up the great work. So Tony, Tony's asked a few questions there uh, in one. I think what he wants to get at is is um, a series on OS architecture. Uh, yeah. And I think that would be very interesting. But it's interesting the things he points out. The Windows registry uh, and the file system for, for Linux, those two things aren't related at all. But in his mind, he, he put them together as things that are fundamentally different. Um, so I think it's... I think it could be educational from the standpoint of, of what actually is different. Um, you know, Windows can read an EXT3 if they wanted to. I don't know that they've ever built that, but there's no reason to stop them. But, you know, Linux could never read a Windows registry because of the way it's it's designed. Yeah. Um, I guess Wine kind of does that. But, yeah, so that would be – that's something we're thinking about. I, I've had a discussion uh, at least briefly with the guys about it. We're going to do some – some thought because it sounds interesting, um, and it sounds like something we could sink our teeth into, and maybe do uh, a couple of shows out of. So Tony, we'll uh, we'll keep that uh, in the hopper, and and you'll know when it happens because there'll be a show about it. Yeah, there you go. Bring more show topics. We want them. Yeah, what we're finding it, is that uh, our audience likes those kind of you know. It's hard to say off topic because we we so rel- seldom have a true topic. Uh, but they like those deep dives into fundamentals. And I love doing that sort of stuff. Uh, so I think we're going to plan some of those for 2014. Definitely a series on the history of the Internet because there's been quite a lot of interest in that and, and it's something I um, know a lot about and, and, and would be happy to do a, a show on. Uh, but these fundamentals, uh, you know, Steve Gibson on, on Security Now, he does that sort of stuff too. It's not necessarily security but it's it's in the same wheelhouse as his audience and uh yep. and and we can bring our own spin to that sort of stuff obviously other people can can are better to talk about chip architecture and 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 os design because they know more but we can bring our own spin to it uh and you know being the old guy that that Seth and I are we can we can speak from history about how we've seen things grow right yeah, and I got to admit, putting together that history of communications, I super enjoyed doing that. I it was to me, it's in one of the it's the one of the top 2 shows that I'm most proud of. Yeah, and it was a lot of right, fun too. Right next to the burping episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, I have blocked that one out of my mind. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, moving right along to our tech news. Uh, we've got a short list this week, uh, which is fine because uh, I'm trying to keep this under three hours. But this uh, this first one comes to us from a listener, from Rick, who uh, writes to tell us about um, a, an, our, a Linux-powered rifle. Now, I think we have done... We've talked about this or something like it before, but this is yeah. this is no longer in development. This has been purchased. It's a thing. Cool. Yeah, the um, we've talked about. I think it was this exact rifle. I'm not sure, but before it was just kind of like they've developed one with Linux. But here, the military has actually purchased a few of these. Um, how many? They purchased six of these smart rifles, be, and they range between $10,000 and $27,000 each. You basically identify a target on the screen, and then the computer tells you how to, how to hold your gun, you know, move it a little to the left, right, elevation, all that kind of stuff, and when to pull the trigger. So it kind of takes... You know, it can make a sniper much more, maybe not more accurate because they're really trained, but it can make them more effective because they would be able to put more bullets on target right. in a faster manner with this because the operating system is doing all those calculations for them. And that's really what it's, it's the spotter. It's a digital spotter. Yep, so right. it takes into account temperature and wind and you know humidity and all those sort of things that that a good sniper can do anyway so i would the way i read this article it can take a regular everyday guy and make him a good sniper um and that that means something right it guys study for years and train to become a good sniper and if this can take just a regular grunt and make him a good sniper that's great you know and, and it can only make a good sniper that much better um so it's not it's not a laser guided bullet or anything like that. It's just uh, measuring uh, uh, inclination and you know those sort of things. And so you, I guess you get a green zone, right? You raise your gun up, and it tells you where you're good. And you go left and right, and it tells you where you're good. And then you know measures the wind and all that, and tells you now to, is the time to pull the trigger. So it's a it's a once the the bullet leaves the the barrel, it's done. It's not a yeah. guided bullet or anything like that. It's just it makes it easier to be really good at putting the the bullet in the right place. Yeah, it, it's an interesting concept. I, I was um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's he does long range firing anyway, you know, on his own with no spotter, just him. And he, I was talking to him about this, and he goes, "You know, all this is it, it's a great thing for the military, but it's going to make everyone think they're long range sniper guys and." It's going to be different when they take this away or the batteries fail in it, and now you have a high-powered rifle and a with a guy who doesn't know how to do the calculations, though. Well, yeah, so, I think there will always be a market for a sniper. There will always be a place for him on the on the battlefield, but this yeah. just multiplies. It's a force multiplier. It makes yep. all your guys better. It's interesting, though, that it also it looks like it. it I'm lo I'm watching the little video as as we're talking and and it has a it looks like an iPhone app <laughs> so you can track the you can see like a you know the a spotter could be watching as well or whoever could jump into that Wi-Fi node and could watch to see what he's seeing and everything else it, it's a neat thing I, I I would like to see more on this in order to to see more i am I'm, I'm interested because i always like the the long range shot whenever we 
Uh, when I was younger, we'd always go out and see who could shoot the farthest. And that was one of my favorite things to do is long range. So yeah, I, I'm by no, by no means a marksman, but I, I've grown up firing weapons. My, my grandfather took me to the range when I was so little. I, I had to hold the pistol up on a gun rack just cause I could, I couldn't hold it up. Um, yeah. and so I, I've, you know, I'm familiar with, with how to shoot and even just a regular scope, just a plain old, uh, deer hunting scope movements are so exaggerated. You move just a little and yep. suddenly you've totally lost your, your sight picture. You have no idea what you're shooting at this thing. If you're looking at shooting, uh, three miles away, uh, you know, it's, it's so much more magnified that you really need, you need either a, a really trained, highly experienced human or some smart computing and what we're finding, the more the smarter we make our computers, the more we find we have to put into them just to make them as good as a person. Mm-hmm. Well, and that you know that, that's gonna what's gonna be interesting now is when they when these things start to be production now is instead of having a two man team for a spotter and a shooter, you're gonna be able to have two shooters doing the same you know that that could go into the same field, have the same you know you cross hatch people and and yeah i think this is a cool idea um i I wish they would send us more information but and we're raising a generation of soldiers soldiers who grew up on halo and and uh you know ghost recon and whatever so the the sighting a target on a screen is going to be very familiar to these people yep it's a cool thing i i want to see more i can't wait to the see if this actually makes it down to the consumer market because i would definitely want to play with it all right, and the next one on the list, uh, there's some new laws that say um, it might be okay to break DRM, maybe. Yes, um, I had not heard of this company before, but they are a company that um, PC Box, they kind of make homebrew applications for things such as Nintendo and they were looking for a way to circumvent Nintendo's DRM so they can get on the Nintendo system. And basically this made it to Europe's version of the Supreme Court. And their opinion is since they're not trying to illegally break it for terms of, uh, you know, copying and distributing, but they're, they're only adding to their own. It, it would be okay in that sense to circumvent DRM. So at least in Europe, DRM is not an ironclad, you know, break it in your dead thing. You at least have some wiggle room there. Well, it's like here in the U.S. It's it's okay to have a backup. It's perfectly legal to have a backup copy of your DVDs, but it's illegal to break the encryption in order to do so, which is, you know, talking out of both sides of your hat there. Um, you, you, can't, you can't break the encryption to have a backup but it's okay to have a backup that's that's more than a little bit ridiculous so i think this is the the eu being less stupid well yeah there's one sentence here as well as being an eminently sensible ruling it's potentially hugely important because it establishes that in principle drm may be circumvented depending on the circumstances so you know, this could be one of those rare instances of uncommon sense in technology litigation. So I'm I'm kind of hoping this holds up. And again, you know, I understand and I, I, 
I don't think all DRM is bad um, because, you know, people have a right to protect what they produce if they so desire. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but again, there's protecting it and there's being an idiot. And, you know, there's far too many idiots out there. So this might kind of bring some balance to the force. Yeah, <laughs> Common sense may not be common, but idiocy is very common. Yeah. Right. See, the thing that I, I want to bring up is the fact that, you know, back many, many moons ago, the whole DRM or the reason Nintendo is so locked down in their cartridges is to try to keep the Atari from from happening to their system. Because remember, Atari didn't have any uh, quality checks. And so, you know, anyone and everyone could make games for the Atari back then. And they all, it flooded the market with garbage. So when Nintendo came to the field, they said, you can't make it without going through our you know we you make the game we'll mint it on our car on our cartridges and so it's interesting to see that you know maybe the eu and possibly it may come stateside that this might change that now because of the homebrew market um it's it's weird how things are circuit you know ro- you know they rotate and come back so it's interesting it's like the when sega came up with their dreamcast computers they invented an entirely new optical disc format that could hold more than twice as much uh as anything previous and they kept it to themselves rather than licensing it or selling it because then nobody could copy their Mm -hmm. games so you know people go a long way to keep people from copying and but look how well that worked for the dreamcast right it was a technically superior product that didn't last you know, for because nobody wanted to make games for it, and one of the reasons was it was so difficult to to do it right. But you yeah. know, they there were so many hoops to jump through. Well, and, you know, it's it, and then they re, rebranded and brought it back out with the you know with all the different distributions. I mean, look at Blu-ray. Blu-ray was the same thing, but they they learned from their last one and and allowed people to license it. So. I don't know. It's interesting, and I always like the fact that to hear that that homebrew market is having an effect. So, good on you. Yeah, if you go back to the original IBM versus um, Apple, you know, Apple was like, you're not allowed to even look at our hardware. If you even touch the case, we're going to kill you. And IBM said, ah, we'll license whatever we got. Make it. Make it better. Make it cheaper. And Consequently, the IBM PC market exploded and it just, it left that, um, Apple market in the dust so much so that eventually the Apple market went to the standard PC architecture. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yes, the IBM form factor got hugely famous, but IBM didn't make any money off of it. Yeah. Well, that's just bad, bad business on their end. They should have had, you know, had licensing a little better. And it may not have it may have slowed the growth, but I think it would have made them a little more money. So when you when you point at IBM, you got to be careful because IBM is still a, a multi billion dollar company, but they don't sell PCs anymore. Yeah, they they don't sell anything. They're middleware. Well, yeah, and actually, uh, you know, they pretty much they don't sell servers anymore. I think they are well on their way to um, 
actually making money doing absolutely nothing. They seem to sell <laughs> off any business they have. Uh, there's a story where they're selling their low-end x86 server business to Lenovo, who uh, it's been, what, four or five years ago now? They bought all of their uh, PC business. Yep. So I guess they just kind of make the high-end blades now and then the whole middleware and consulting market. Well, and if, and if they're making money on it, I mean, why not? Uh, let Lenovo, you know, live in their shoes, and then they can make, you know, be, their be more uh, cu- uh, not customizable, but uh, more more streamlined and more uh, directed at exactly what they wanted to cover anyway. Uh, see, I I don't understand. You have this thing, and it makes you money. It might not make you much money, but it's still making money. So you're going to get rid of it to focus on this other stuff, thus losing income producing aspect of your business. It just, it seems to me that I, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I never went to Harvard Business School. So maybe <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking well, about. Well, like, like Blackberry, you don't have the, the business acumen to lose $3 billion, Seth. You, so you really just, you can't speak. You just don't have enough. <laughs> I would wisdom. say, I would guess the reason that they cut loose the the PC laptop and ser- the low end server builds to Lenovo is the fact that you know they're trimming the fat. They just don't want that that opportunity for loss because you know with the the growth of tablets, you know we we've we've been saying this for a while now that the tablet is going to take over for some points of the the laptop and desktop market, and if that's the case. IBM saw it on the wall. They they jumped out of it as soon as they could, and then they focused on stuff that was making big money. So maybe they're more insightful than we than we you know even realize. Again, but you know, eventually you've still got to have some type of hardware to access <laughs> the great information supernet that's out there. And if you're not making any of the hardware, you know. You're going to lose your insights. But again, like I say, I, I don't know how to lose $3 billion a quarter. So, <laughs> but you, but you did say they're still making their high, the high end blades. So maybe that's, that's how they're going to keep that market money. Yeah. But you know, we used to say they still made servers and now they still make a couple of types of servers. So. All right, so let's let's move on to uh, something else. There's a new Humble Bundle, but this time not for video games. Yes, it is the Humble Audiobook Bundle, and you have just over eight and a half days from uh, when we're recording this podcast. Several different books, some of which I have actually heard of. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm not real big in the literary world unless it's science fiction and even then just uh certain subsets of science fiction, but authors I have heard of, um, in here and it's the humble audiobook bundle. So the humble bundle isn't just for games anymore. Again, I have recently become a big fan of audiobooks. I'm going to have to check that one out. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And they're, they're DRM free audiobooks. Yep. This isn't the first time that Humble has done something like this. They've done audiobooks before. They've done PDF books too. Uh, they, they do this every once in a while. And I think it's a, it's their way of trying to stay fresh. Um, a couple of the books in here I've heard of, just like Seth said, I, I have heard a couple of the books and I have heard a couple of the authors. So the one that stands out right away though for me is On a Pale Horse by Pierce Anthony. Um, I remember reading that book probably three times in high school. So that's a good one. 
Okay, cool. Moving right along. Um, Google beat the patent troll and won a dollar. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> yes, there was this company that um, Google had kind of they had settled with because apparently there's some there's some validity to the patents that they've acquired. Um, it has to do with how advertising technology is served up. So uh, even though they had this deal with Google, they went after uh, companies that used Google uh, and like Google's partners whom said they were protected. And so Google sued them and said, you can't double dip in this. And they um, they didn't try to prove a damages case. They only sought one dollar. But maybe in the um, like kind of post court motions, they might go after legal fees or something. But it's um, I don't know. It was just kind of you know, yay to see the patent trolls at least. You know, again, it, it, there there should be some protection for valid intellectual property. I don't have a problem with that. But you know, the patent trolls go overboard to just you know, abuse and steal and threaten and coerce and make you an offer you can't refuse kind of thing. So it's good to see them put back in their place. And again, it's more of a symbolic victory than anything. You know, I guess Google really wasn't after the money. And, you know, we've talked about in the past how, you know, it's not that companies like Google and Microsoft and Apple don't act very patent trollish on their own anyway. So, um, I guess that's why they weren't going after them big time, but I think it's cool. I like the fact that they, you know, settled for a dollar. That's awesome. <laughs> right. It's not about the money, it's about winning. That's right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's they, the they, principle of the thing, dead gummit. Yeah, well my you, principles you, can be bought for more than a dollar. Just like yeah. <laughs> Right. You know what they should have done is, is had that instead of the do, the you know when you know asking for a dollar they should have asked for the cost of a cup of coffee because I'm sure that's about all the time the lawyer actually spent on you know the the got the trial lawyer actually spent on in working on it. <laughs> that reminds me of the Sally Struthers all of a sudden you know <laughs> for less than a cup of coffee you can save a a starving child in India. <laughs> Well, of course, cost of coffee anymore. That would be that's, that's right. a pretty good. It's a pretty good cup of yeah, coffee. I don't eat that good. What are you talking about? <laughs> cup of coffee a day is what a hundred bucks coffee, a month you can now. Feed me, yeah, yeah something like that. Depending on your choice of coffee, like my wife, if she had, a, if we'd saved every dollar she spent on coffee in a, in a month on the those highbrow coffees, man, we could buy a car at the end of the month or at the end of a year. <laughs> well, I figure six dollars a day at least. That's, That's a, a good lot. chunk of change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is right. The cat, the triple mocha latte vente, whatever, is you know three ninety nine, and then the tax, and then uh, the gas out of the way to go get yep. it and back. Yeah, it's it's six seven and bucks. Don't a day. forget, you got to tip the barista. Yep. Really, you're supposed to tip those people? Yes, you are. Yeah. I wouldn't know. I don't go there enough to know. <laughs> yeah, and not change whole bills. And usually yep. more than one. Well, I've heard, uh, you know, again, I'm not a bar guy, but I've heard that you should tip the bartender like two bucks every time he gives you a drink. And I'm thinking, man, I want to be a bartender now. It that's, depends on the bar, but yeah. Yeah. I do that for mixed drinks. If you're mixing me a drink, I'll tip you two bucks. If you're just opening a bottle of beer, yeah, maybe a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next story in the list, uh, you know, we talked uh, last week about how Valve had gone Debian. Well, 
they, there's a few perks to that. Valve has given Debian uh, uh, developers free Steam games. That's yeah, awesome. basically they've just said, here's your Steam account, boys, and if it's on Steam, you've got access to it. Thanks for developing Debian. Um, so I don't know how much more work there's ever going to be on the Debian kernel <laughs> moving forward, but <laughs> we'll see their names moving up the Steam leaderboard. Yeah. Way There's to shoot yourself in the foot, Valve. There's a lot of game. Well, it's it's anything basically Valve, and it's if it's Valve and on Steam, they gave it away basically. Because I mean, I'm seeing Portal Two, or po- yeah, Portal Two, Portal, Team Fortress, the Half Life series. Uh, yeah, lots and lots of games. There's 28 on the list that they uh, that they're quoting. But I mean, you know, Dota Two is on the top of that list, and that's a fun game you'll burn hours on that one if you're not careful yeah there's a reason i'm not a gamer is because i i like an alcoholic i have to stay away because uh, uh, i know <laughs> that once i go down that road i mean uh, i'm i do things like angry birds and things like that because i know they only release levels every now and then so it can only suck part of my time uh, my time away for a little while you know when a new angry bird star wars expansion comes out i do nothing else for like a week and a half or two weeks until I get three stars on all the levels. And then, all right, I got to wait a few more months. So I, I stick to casual games like that because if I get into something, I really get into it. Yeah. Uh, then then I won't point you at a couple other ones that you'd probably get addicted to. I, you're right. Uh, the, the old classic uh, Windows game, Dune. I don't yeah. know if you ever played that one. Uh, that sucked many years of my life away, much like the machine in uh, Princess Bride. It just sucked one year of my life away. And it's a it's a terrible game, you it know, is. in terms of, of graphics and all that sort of stuff. But the I just loved that kind of command and conquer uh, strategy. And I would play through all three houses, uh, through all the levels, and then put it away for a while. And then like two or three years later, huh, what, I, what is it? And then I'd get sucked into it again and I have to play through all three houses and all uh, through all the levels again. Uh, you know, I don't know where that is anymore. It's gone, and that's good for me. <laughs> yeah, don't. I have a hard enough time having any semblance of a life. But, man, you know, you get to where you beat the game, and then you think, okay, what happens if I don't do this one thing? So, you <laughs> you you know, and you're like, okay, I can beat it that way. Okay, now I want to try to play it this way. And, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I'm glad. I couldn't handle just looking at my Xbox 360 sitting there doing nothing anymore. I had to sell it. Because it was uh, getting harder and harder to resist not turning that thing on and just, you know, dying in my room because my bladder burst because I didn't want to get him to go to the bathroom like Tycho Brocky. <laughs> oh, what, by, by the way, while we're on that subject, any of our listeners out there have a Wii that you've gotten tired of and you just don't want it anymore? Let me know. I would, I would like to have it. I'm probably not going to offer to pay you for it, but I'll pay your shipping or something like that. My, my family's Wii has blown out. And, oh. and I've got young kids, and they still love that. Um, but I'm just not willing to go drop another 100 bucks on it uh, And when I know that probably in our audience there's somebody whose kids have outgrown it or they themselves have outgrown it. So uh, if, if, that's, if that's you and you're just looking to get rid of something and you'd like to do a solid for the, the sultan of what, – what is it? Sultan of soapbox, uh, just let me know, and uh, I'd like to have that. So moving on because we're going to – get too carried away with games here um there's a new malware which is interesting it uses windows to infect android that's kind of backwards 
that's kind of the way. Yeah, you work, know, though. usually it's been another way to attack Windows, but I guess, you know, Microsoft is really getting serious in their fight against Android. And so now they've released some malware to target their insecure system to turn around to target Android and make it more infected. Um, tongue in cheekly, he said, but no, apparently it, what, what this thing does is it drops a malicious DLL file in your windows computer. Well, wow. That's, that's 90% of malware ever written. Um, but then it kind of downloads a configuration and it looks to, um, if you attach, you know, a lot of people will attach their USB, um, they'll charge their phone through their USB port or do that to transfer files back and forth. It would seek to affect your Android system that way. And of course, you know, once they have your Android system, they can do like the, the pay for texting and stuff like that, spam off of your mobile OS and things like that. So that's what, uh, that's what it is. And again, it's kind of unusual because in the past it's tr- predominantly, how can we infect your Windows machine? You know, hey, look, we'll use Android, but now it's how can we affect your Android machine? So the, the, um, people who are into the, the, uh, black market of crime, so to speak, are realizing how huge the install base is for Android. And so they're targeting that now, however they can to get in and make money off of it. Yeah. And being the geek that, that I am, not only do I plug my phone into my, computer often but i have debug mode on so that it automatically connects without asking um because you know on the phone because that's you have to do that for certain things like titanium backup to work so you know that's that's a thing right that's a there's a lot of um people out there on android who tend to be the more power users and the power users tend to run in more risky configurations because they they think they can handle it I, you know, I, I would say that I think I can handle it. So, you know, this could be, this could be something that bites me one day. Yeah, it's very possible. I, I still think it's doesn't. funny though that it's, it's Windows driven. So me and my Linux stuff is perfectly a-okay for this particular, uh, install. Yeah. 2% of the desktop world is perfectly safe. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Woohoo. <laughs> uh, and speaking of IBM, well, Seth, you were just talking about this. IBM is, is continuing its quest to make money by doing nothing. Yes. They sold off their server business to Lenovo, and I'm going to see if I can get them. Well, no, I was going to say, I, I got to figure out this. What can I sell off, uh, make a lot of money off of, and still get paid for doing nothing? So... I, I don't know, but I got to come up with something because well, the, the like trouble the with that is you have to have at some point have done something. That's that's yeah. the key. Yeah, mm. doggone it, <laughs> <laughs> foiled you again. Know, I have one of those Lenovo servers here in my office. I'll have to double check it now and look at it. I, I just I, want to comment on the the New York Times post there uh, at the very, at the top of the article is just two random Asian chicks under a Lenovo sign <laughs> neither of which is aware that their picture is being taken and both of which looks like they would rather be anywhere than what they're doing right now yep. these are booth babes at some conference or something um, right and it was you know well we need a picture to go with this article why i don't know why they always have feel they have to have a bloggers do the same thing i've got to have a picture at the beginning of my article it doesn't have to be about anything i just need a picture um and the and, pictures i mean the lenovo signs even out of focus exactly yeah, the, what you're focusing on is the two women who don't want to be there. Yeah, 
It was probably taken with a smartphone or one of those point-and-click cameras that don't allow focusing. It just kind of face grabs. Or it's a crop of like a whole big room full, and they just crop down that one. Oh, look, there's Lenovo and and chicks. So we'll go with that. But mainly chicks. (laughs) Mainly the chicks. Uh, moving on to our, I did it again. Moving on, I'm trying, trying not to say that one. This week in history, uh, this is a good one. Well, a good bad one. The My Doom virus became a thing. Yes, January 26, 2004, an anonymous hacker released the My Doom virus, um, an email worm responsible for 38 billion, and this is 38 billion of 2004 dollars in damages. The thing about this, it's still kind of a mystery. The hacker left no trace of his identity beyond a cryptic message within the virus text. Andy, I'm just doing my job. Nothing personal. Sorry. And I really want to give a shout out to Kelly over at Spiceworks because she put this up. She does a little this day in history thing. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to use this one. The thing about my doom when it was in its heyday, um, message labs estimated that one in 12 emails contained my doom, uh, compared to the former champion so big, which peaked at one in 17. So again, one out of every 12 emails sent, uh, across the planet estimated contained this one particular virus. Now we know that spam accounts for in some cases up to 99.87% of all emails sent, but you know, here you're talking, what's that? 8%, um, Eight and a half percent of all email is this one virus. To me, that's wow. just that's uh, that's pretty big penetration. And again, this is 2004, so we're not talking 1996 when the internet was just a few hundred computers. 2004, granted, eight year or ten years ago, but we're still talking millions of computers. And you know, like so many things, like Nimda, for example, it's still out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you, if you're running unprotected, you will, you can still get the my doom thing. Um, but also like, like lots of things, uh, in that time, it was fairly benign to the user only up until very recently with, with these, you know, uh, crypto locker things. Um, most viruses and worms and what, you know, malware in general have been pretty benign to the user. Uh, there were the, the, I love you virus that, that deleted text files and there were things like that, but I can only think of a handful of them that actually harmed the user. Uh, this one was primarily a DDoS, uh, attack, uh, but didn't really do much to the end user. And now, now we've, we've moved on to, we're past the proof of concept stage. Now we're into the, the, you know, VC angel investing phase. These guys are using their, their skills to, to, to get money. There was a, a recent article, uh, that said the, the my uh, the crypto locker virus has has raked in uh, over forty million dollars uh, in the last uh, several weeks that it's been out, yep. and it's it's not going to change. It's only going to get worse. Yeah, it's yeah. going to get it's going to get really bad. Um, I think it's going to. Well, I think Security Now quoted that there were what four different ver- variants of the crypto locker. Did you guys catch that? I, I'm not sure. It was, yeah, it was a lot. It, it, it jumped. I, I definitely rewound it a couple of times to make sure I heard that right. But they were, they're copycats. They're not, you know, the one, you know, the same ones, but they're still, you know, that's four variants already. Yeah. It's just going to get worse. And the fact that they're, it, it's a cash cow. You know, yeah. I've crap. told my brother and like my people who I am their 
ultimate tech support guy. I was like, look, there's stuff out there now that if you get, I can't fix. Um, yeah. Because before I've been pretty confident in my ability to, I can beat this thing. It might, you know, it take me a few days, but you got a root kit. I can probably get rid of it. Um, Cause you know, I mean, I'm not super guy, but I fancy myself somewhat of a and there are tools out security. there for, for just yeah. about everything. Yeah. Um, you know, but now, you know, I tell, I was like, look, it's possible that you can get something on your computer and lose everything you have and it be beyond my or anyone else's ability to get back. So, yep. you know, therefore you need to have your data somewhere, uh, else as well. Back up. So I always up, tell people back up, yes. get a crash plan account or a carbonite or something. Cause that's the only, that's the only way you're safe. From Insert Carbonite ad here. I wish we had one. But we yeah. do have an ad yes. for the LinuxAcademy.com, so we'll move into that. Uh, you guys know what Linux Academy is by now. I don't have to tell you all this, but I'm going to anyway because maybe there's one new listener out there who's never heard of LinuxAcademy.com. It is... I'm going to go ahead and say it, the premier place on the web for uh, Linux learning. Um, you're going to get, uh, when, when you when you go there, you're going to get over 200 training videos produced by experts uh, about pretty much anything you can imagine. The whole purpose of Linux Academy is to take a computer, uh, you know, a Linux novice, a, com- a computer savvy person who's a Linux novice, and move them into um, being a Linux administrator. Not only just a Linux administrator, but a certified Linux administrator. And right now, they've been really focused on the, the first level stuff, like the LPIC level one and the uh, the Linux plus and those things. They're moving, that's their foundation. They're moving forward. I've been talking with Anthony uh, about some things I'm not I'm not at liberty to say, but let me just say they're moving into much more advanced stuff in the near future, um, and I, I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, I've, I've he's asked me for some input on some things, and uh, we're not ready to go public yet. But there's there's really more advanced stuff coming. But right now, what you've got is still pretty darn cool uh not only do you have the those those 200 plus videos but every one of them comes with a pdf study guide uh that you can use as a reference they're time coded so that you know that at this time in this video this is what they talked about so if you need to go back and refresh that you need to 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 pick up uh you know to hear that again you know exactly where to go they've got a lesson browser that keeps track of everything you've done, and uh, they've got these modules built in. So you, you say, "I'm going to take the uh, the Amazon Web Services certification module." So it it pulls out all the stuff of their website and gives you a lesson plan to follow, and then tracks you as you go through it. Uh, not only the videos, but there's also quizzes and practice tests, and it tracks those and it tracks your scores and, and tells you what you've done, so that you know at a glance where you are in your knowledge base and where you need to go. And uh, and when you're done with these things, you can you can get certified. How do we know? Because people have done it, and you can get all this stuff for a pittance. Uh, for, for if you just want to try it out and just look and see if you if you think it's for you, throw Anthony a dollar. That just says, hey, I've got a PayPal account or a credit card, and I'm actually a person, not a spam bot. So you throw him a dollar, he'll let you look around for 14 days. You can go through and you can you can download videos, you can look at PDF study guides, you can you can really get an experience for 14 days, know exactly what you're doing. It's probably not enough time to actually um, gather all the knowledge because it's it's that in depth. You're not going to uh, get uh, certified in 14 days. There's that much information. But when you're done. 
the end of your 14-day trial, that's when he really sticks it to you. And he, he jacks up the price to $19 a month. $19 a month for this kind of learning. But it even gets better than that. If you throw in uh, for three months and you buy a quarter, he'll only charge you for two. So $38 a quarter. Four quarters, $38, $150 and change for a year of high-quality Linux education. And it's not just it's not just static. It's growing. Like I said, he's talking to me about some new things that he's going. The site is growing all the time. That's I haven't even mentioned the user forums uh, where, where Anthony and his team hang out and answer questions. This is all part of the service. Um, they're extremely responsive. I've got uh, feedback from, from users uh, of the site and listeners to the show who say, you know, they'll pose a question or suggest some material, and within a couple of days, that there's a new video that that answers that and responds to that these guys are on top of it so go check them out linuxacademy.com 19 bucks a month seth wow. how much are you going to pay somewhere else you know mark it's funny you should ask that because uh i waited until you started talking about the commercial to search for linux training on the web and i found a four-day course to become a linux system administrator for four days, you can sign up for the bargain basement price of $2,500. Um, so again, if you think $19 a month for a wide range of topics to cover all aspects of Linux administration, if you think that's too much, well, feel free to pay $2,500 for only a four-day course that teaches you how to install, administer, configure, and upgrade Linux. So... $2,500 mark for four days. I don't know. Um, How many years could you get of the Linux Academy for $2,500? What did I say? About 150 a year. So, yeah, you could get 18 years or so for that. Yeah. I, I think it's clear where the better bargain is. And, you know, let's face it. Most people who are using Linux are doing so because they're cheap son of a guns who, who don't want to <laughs> spend money on anything. Well, welcome to our world, people. No kidding. <laughs> um. That's, that's all I have to say about Linux Academy. Oh, by the way, when you go, when you check them out, because I know you're going to, use uh, the code EverydayLinux in the referral box just to let them know that we sent you. And uh, thanks, Linux Academy and Anthony, for supporting the show. And, you know, they're not just supporters. They're listeners. He he sends me email from time to time about the show. So uh, they're they're part of us. They're part of our community. Yes, and we love them so. Yeah. And, you know, what does the saying go? I'm, I'm not just a sponsor. I'm a member. Yes. <laughs> you know, he gets my money every week, too. Or not every week, every month as well. Awesome. Uh, okay, so we're going to move right into the show topic now. Fedora 20. And this is where I go, okay, Chris, take it away. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is the Chris show. Godfather. <laughs> did, did either of you two try it out? It's been out for a little bit, so I was just wondering if either one of you tried it out since the release. No. Okay. Not I. <laughs> okay. So it's I love the how he didn't show. even give like half a second for us to answer. Have you tried it out? No. Okay, that's what I thought. That was great. I didn't even have a chance to form the words. He knew what they were going to be. <laughs> hey, I did read an article about it. So. Oh, oh, well then. Uh, do you want to take this one away then, Seth? <laughs> I mean, I can. <laughs> um. Honestly, the this Fedora release for me in my hardware was about the normal. Uh, we did, I did try the the new ButterFS for the file system, and ow! <laughs> At least for my particular machine, it, Butter is not where I need to be. Uh, the the there's a heavy I/O 
when it comes to uh, reading and writing. And if you're trying to do something that has a lot of read and write cycles, you're going to be a slow duck. But uh, when I moved it back over to the EXT format, it was perfectly fine. Uh, installation has been streamlined immensely. Um, it's now, I think, six clicks to get it done. Uh, and I found something that would, I've never noticed before, and I don't know if it's been previously or not. But when I reformatted the laptop and put um, Fedora on it and I connected it to the Wi-Fi, it automatically changed my host name. Because obviously my router already knows what, you know, my, the host name for this Mac ID is, but it automatically changed it. So I don't so know. So it asked a, the router what the host name previously had been? It, it must have. It must have because I didn't even get a chance to type it in and it automatically switched it. It, it almost freaked me out because I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> was I this an upgrade or a clean install? This is a clean install. So I, I mean, I, I, I formatted Mint off the machine and then ran the system, you know, the normal install, and I attached it because I, uh, remember, I used the, uh, the, the, the network install. So I, I, you know, it's just an itty bitty install CD, and then it pulls everything down off the internet. So I have to have it plugged into either an Ethernet or a Wi Fi. When I typed in my Wi Fi key, it immediately changed the host name because since I was booting from net install, that's the first thing it asks. So it, it blew my mind. I was like, oh my goodness, is, is this a new feature or is this just something that happened because of where I am? Uh, Skynet, baby. <laughs> so uh, user, or not users, but uh, uh, listeners, if you've installed Fedora, did that same thing happen to you or are you installing from the DVD and not even bothering to hit the internet? Uh, I, I would like to know because I, I guess I could reinstall without touching, the, you know, without plugging it in with a DVD to see, but uh, I was very, I'd be very intrigued to find out. But again, the install was pretty much Fedora smooth, click, 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 pick your distribution, your, uh, or not your distribution, but your desktop, and away you go. Um, again, we did the Fedora, how to install Fedora not too long ago. The, nothing's changed there. Uh, they've just made the steps a little cleaner. Uh, this install was very, very fast for being on an SSD. Uh, I was very impressed. Uh, when I booted up into my KDE inform- format, I was greeted with a new uh, network manager. Uh, I didn't know that KDE was rewriting the network manager, and yes, it has been re- re- rewritten. And the very first time I, I looked at it, it kind of threw me for a loop because I'm used to seeing a laundry list of um, networks right away, and you have to actually click on the Wi-Fi applet and then it'll give you the laundry list. So if you're a KDE guy and you've not seen that change, it will be available. It is there and it is live. Um, but all in all, it's a typical Fedora install. And for stability and, and driver support, it's all basically the same. Um, I, well, I mean, let's be honest. Fedora is very mature at this point. There's not yes. a whole lot more that, that can be done to it. it. Every release from now on is going to be tweaks. Right. Well, and this is their 10-year anniversary, so they've been around for a long time. Um, so, you know, they are one of the big three for a reason, or at least maybe not the big three, but they are the daughter or son of the big three, of one of the big three, so that they, they have that stable mindset. 
I did notice um, when I started playing with other uh, desktop environments that I started getting some weird stability issues in my Fedora KDE um, when it came to having uh, GTK applications and Qt applications running at the same time. And I don't know if that's just my hardware, if it was just hard, the, I don't think it was, you know, my, the, the install itself, but I noticed that when I had, you know, five or six Qt applications open and five or six GTK applications open, the, I started getting weird artifacting when I would switch desktops. So, I don't know if that's my issue or if it was just an issue that will be addressed later because I couldn't find anything in the bug reports either. Um, but you know, I had, you know, seven desktops with 12 applications open. I don't know very many people that do that. I don't know. I was, I was trying rapidly trying to think of some snide comment and I let you down. Yeah. I I was, well, I was just, I'm not doing my job. That's my job and I'm not doing it. But I mean, I'm, I am uh, one of those, ex- you know, on the edge people that push things and yeah, six desktops, 12 applications. That's, that's kind of a pushing things, wouldn't you say? Just a little I bit. I would say that. But, uh, so. But yeah, you know, really, not, Chris, I mean, when you're running six different sessions of terminal on 12 desktops, you're not really burning <laughs> it's not that any big a deal, right? Anyway. Oh, no, no. They, not all of them were set, not all of them were terminals. Thank you. Um, just Hello. nine of them. No, no, just four of them. <laughs> just four. I had. I was working this weekend. Give me a break. Even though I was a single dad all weekend, uh, yeah, I was working. Um, and then I still. It drives me crazy that uh, se the se Linux thing. Um, I still have to do the boolean to fix wine, and that just drives me absolutely crazy. Um, but it's Fedora. They're faulting to secure than unsecure. Yeah, I mean that's the 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 default face it most people don't change it. So you want to make that as as secure as possible. Yeah, any other questions you have for, you know, I I played with the GNOME interface, I played with KDE, I did try cinnamon, um I didn't do mate, um and I did XFCE. So I mean, I hit the big desktops so and, you know, ten years, ten years into Fedora, um, and you you found it a yawn release is what I'm hearing. I wouldn't say well, I wouldn't say it's a, a complete yawn. I mean, they did do some major changing on the uh, you know the, but it's not Fedora doing the changing; it's the interfacing changing. Um, I would say at this point, don't move to Butter yet if you're doing a clean install. That that's God, not Butter. Is butter ever going to be ready? It's ten years old now, too. I th- I think it's going to be close. I mean, it, it's better this release than it was last release. Um, I think once they can figure the biggest issue I see is the is the read and write because they're they're doing a shadow copy for everything, right? And once I think they need to figure out what stuff needs to be shadow copied and what stuff doesn't need to be shadow copied and set that up, it'd be a lot better. Because right now with everything, I mean, I was, I was synchronizing my Dropbox and just that happening, you know, downloading my, my Dropbox and my Dropbox files, uh, it slowed the laptop down to a point where I couldn't even use it. You know, anytime anything, anything that needed to access the hard drive during that session, when, when that stuff was downloading, forget about it. I, I mean, I was trying to edit a picture at the same time and I just gave up. So. 
there there needs to be a line drawn somewhere on what stuff gets shadow copied immediately and what stuff gets shadow copied at a later time because right now with it doing it all the time i think it's just it's a disservice for all the benefits that butter has or at this point it's a disservice to shadow copy everything yeah well butter's ambitious they they have you know they have set a lofty goal and you know when they first started the technology really didn't even support what they were going to do yeah uh drives have gotten faster now particularly ssds uh can handle it better but yeah it's it's just not I, and i'm excited about it i want it to be ready uh zfs is another one i've been following for a long time i, yeah. I want them to be ready but they're just not yet i think you know the, this is the f- i would say i would almost give butter a beta stamp right now for the way it, the performance level um, it may be secure everything else you know all the other steps might be okay but it's the performance i would still ba- give it the beta bra- the beta badge um, you know and i didn't see any issues with with file corruption or anything else when i was playing with it um, but of course i didn't play with it very long before i, I moved back over to ext um I just think that this was a good release. I just don't think it was a, oh my god, this is groundbreaking release. It wasn't a beefy miracle, is what you're saying. <laughs> no, it was definitely not a miracle. But, but it, it again, is definitely what is a beefy miracle. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely, I would say, if you were to draw a quality of release line, you know, from from line to line, from release to release to release, there really isn't ever going to be a huge spark on. You know, a, a Fedora release. It's they they make sure to make everything solid and fairly default and perfect all the way through. The one thing that I did run across, and I did do a, a couple of different installs across different hardware sets to find out if it was just my stuff or other, if it, or if it was just the packages in general. But the Blues package, the thing that handles Bluetooth connections. They've moved, and everybody has moved up. This is a, a Linux as a general, um, if they're using the Blues package for anything, Blues is broken at the moment. Um, and it's, it's everybody. It's on Ubuntu, Fedora, OpenSUSE, Mint. Everybody who uses Blues is broken where you can't attach, you can attach things to it, but once that attachment has been broken, it will not reconnect. So when I would be trying to attach my headsets, well, the second the headset would go into sleep mode when it's not transmitting anymore, I would lose the connection and it wouldn't reconnect anymore. Uh, and investigating, and that's because they moved from, I don't know what version it is, for, they moved from 4 whatever to 5 or something like that. And that next version, not all the bits and pieces are in place for Blues to handle the connections to the audio system or to the input and output system of mice. So hmm. if you're... If you haven't moved yet, wait. Because if you're a Bluetooth user, you're going to get left in the cold for a little bit longer. All right. Completely unrelated topic, but it just made me think of it while you were talking. I upgraded my XBMC software on my movie, uh, on my media center today, uh, to their late December release. I got to say, it's a solid upgrade. If you're using XBMC and you haven't upgraded, go do that. That's my little tip that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Well, there you go. (laughs) 
so I guess that's all we have to say about Fedora uh, Heisenberg. We were uncertain whether this would be a, a worthwhile topic or not. Not really. I just had to get that in there because Heisenberg and uncertainty. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> we'll just move right on to Seth's uh, link of the week. Okay, well, I came across this um, last week, and I like anime uh, and mangas. I uh, I enjoy them. And this is one, I just wish I could pronounce this word, Ar, um, Ar, arpeggio. Arpeggio. What, arpeggio. Arpeggio? Arpeggio. Yep. Arpeggio. An arpeggio is, is when you play the uh, one, three, five, and seven of a scale in rapid succession. That's an arpeggio. Okay. Yep. Well, this is Arpeggio of Blue Steel. It is a 12-episode anime that was released, I believe, last year in Japan. And so uh, it's really cool. Um, it's it's kind of set in the future, and it's, uh, it's a naval warfare kind of thing. If you like, the one cool thing I like about Japanese animes is, you know, in America, they release a season, and if it does good, there's another season and another season and another season until the ratings get so bad they cancel it. But the <laughs> Japanese, like, we're going to tell this story, and this story is this long, and we're done. And um, so, and this is, like I say, it's only 12 episodes, and the episodes are like 30 minutes each. It's uh, pretty cool. Give it a look and see if it's something you like. And if it is, great. If not, it's um, over on crunchyroll.com. You can find it and many other things there. Now, is it a um, dubbed or is it subtitled? It's subtitled. If if you're watching okay. anime, you really need to watch them subtitled because you lose so much, I think, in the uh, whenever they're dubbed. It, it's just, I don't know, because... It, there's a lot of the the little humor and interplay uh whenever you know characters are either talking or yelling at each other that doesn't get carried over when they dub the language but whenever it's subtitled you, you pick up a lot more and honestly you know if if you don't if you haven't ever watched subtitled things for maybe the first minute or two it seems weird but then you adjust to it and it, it's no problem to do so yes this is a subtitled anime okay i just i don't get anime i mean g-force and star blazers i guess that was anime when i was a kid uh and i <laughs> loved those but you know i just i don't get it they uh there's, they re-released Star Blazers, by the way, or I should say they're redoing it. And I can't remember the Japanese name, but I think it's Yamato. And uh, they're calling it like Yamato 2199 or whatever, where it's the same basic story, but it's being redone. And uh, I haven't started watching it yet because they're not all available, but I think I might actually um, buy it uh, and have it shipped from Japan because you can't buy it in America, but you can buy it from Japan and have it shipped over. Huh. I loved Star Blazers was one of my favorite animes <laughs> ever. Um, I, it was before I knew any better. You know, Speed Racer. That, that's I guess that's anime as well. Yeah. So I, I've certainly been exposed to it, but I just I don't get it. It's particularly modern anime when I try to watch it. Almost inevitably, at some point in the the story arc, a squid has sex with a teenage girl. You know, something weird like that happens, and I, I just I don't get it. Well, there are many different types 
uh, or genres of anime. And, and there's this one kind, I can't remember the name, but it, it appeals. It's going after young boys and it's the, the young boy when, where you have all the scantily clad women and, you know, seals having sex with them or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, th- there's like ones that appeal to young men. There's ones that appeal to young women. Uh, there's ones that are designed for older people, um, older men, older women that those are more story driven and things like that. There's several different subsets of anime and I just, you know, I, I could read it, but I couldn't really, I probably can't pronounce it correctly because I can barely speak East Texas English, much less, you know, <laughs> Japanese or any other language. Uh, I speak two languages, English and bad English. There uh, you go. So there you go. Less than a, an hour and a half show for the first time in a while. Um, largely because Chris had nothing to say about Fedora 20. Uh, other uh, there, than it's good, there, there wasn't much solid. to say. It, it's yeah. a solid release. You know, if it was a bad release, I'd be able to dig on it. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I could go into detail about how much I still hate Gnome Three. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're well on record for that. Uh, so, if you want to uh, to make your voice be heard on our show uh, through email or through uh, voicemail, the way to do that is to go over to our website over at elementop.com. Click the contact us link that will send us a uh, send me a vo- an email that I will send to the others, or you can send to all of us at one time if you're afraid that I will censor things like uh, Rick did for his Linux powered rifle. You can send that to edl at uh, elementop.com, or you can call us uh, five five. IMOP. It's our Google voice number. You leave us a message there and uh, we will uh, play it on the, on the show if it's not stupid. And actually, probably <laughs> if it is stupid. Uh, uh, we, we love you listeners. We're glad you're out there and we thank you for doing it. And I, I recently went and looked at the uh, iTunes listings for this show, as I do from time to time. And I got to say, some of you guys really stepped up there and put some uh, some quality comments up there. Uh, and I appreciate that you did that. And I encourage others to do the same. If you're anywhere near an iTunes installation, just go give us a rating and a review. Uh, we're right now, I think, number 12 or 13 on the list when you search for Linux. Um, and that's almost all uh, driven by the number of ratings and, and reviews. And, you know, the like the number five one has... 10 more reviews than we have. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty small margin of error out there. And I know with the hundreds of people, thousands really, who listen to this show, it wouldn't be difficult, uh, for us to be the number one show on iTunes. You just have to, you know, bite the bullet. You have to endure the hell that is iTunes long enough to, uh, give us a rating and a review. And, and if you do that, I'll give you a nickel. Um, basically when you go over and work on your grandma's computer um, her <laughs> windows machine you install itunes you look us up and you rate us so um, that, that's what you do uh you know interesting on my on my own machine in order to do that i had to go download and install itunes because i don't keep it around I, I i downloaded itunes i installed it i checked the listings i haven't uninstalled it yet but probably in the next few days when i'm doing a cleanup of my machine i will do that so i i understand i'm with you i don't i don't keep it around um i understand it's actually a pretty good piece of software on the mac but on windows it's a dog uh so i know how hard it is i know you don't want to do it and of course it doesn't work at all on linux uh but i would appreciate it it would help us out a lot um so they say i have one word for you virtual box there you go 
doesn't hurt anybody. Have your own virtual. Of course, technically, you have to have a legal Windows install to put on. My lawyers make me say that. Not really. I don't have any lawyers. Well, Uh, could they use the the free downloadable trial version of Windows 8? Yeah. Windows Uh, 7 or Windows 8, you get um, a trial that is valid for, I think it's either 14 days or 30 days. So... You know, you can download a virtual box and then evaluate Windows to see if it's something you would like to purchase. And while you're evaluating it, you can evaluate and see how crappily iTunes will hose your system, you know, and that might be the deal breaker that causes you to delete your virtual box because you don't want anything like that ever touching your machine again. Just, you know, that's a hypothetical possibility. Just just hypothetical. (laughs) There we go. Uh, I, I don't think I can follow that. So I think all, I, all there is left to say is thanks, everybody. We appreciate you listening. Uh, thanks, Chris and Seth, for being on the show. And that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.